0: Everyone and welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a SCORE podcast. We're excited for you to join us today for another conversation in our Deans of Admissions series. You'll hear from our guests about the fall semester during a pandemic, the admissions process, how schools are adapting, suggestions and advice for families, and much more. Our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buzkirk, will guide us through the conversation today with our special guest. Now over to Peter for today's interview.
1: Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with admission leaders about matters affecting the college going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk. Earlier this year, I was able to chat with 20 deans of admission about the challenges posed to their institutions by emerging coronavirus. Today, I'm pleased that Kent Reinhardt, good friend and dean of admission at Marist College, has been able to break away from the credential review process to update us one college admission at his place in the era of COVID nineteen. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Peter, for including me and uh, welcome everyone. Good to have you back. And and I think last time we talked it was what late March, early April. Um, gosh, does it seem like it's only six or seven, maybe eight months since then?
0: Boy, it feels like an eternity. Quite honestly, it's been uh, it's been been a really interesting seven eight months that we've we've been through. I think as a profession. Mm-hmm and certainly as a country. I think when we talked earlier, we talked about the need to pivot,
1: the need to change the way we imagine ourselves as institutions and as in the admission process, et cetera. What's that pivot been like at Marist?
0: Well, it's been, uh, it's been different across the board. I think mm-hmm. we have, uh, as an institution, we've had to rethink and re-engineer how we educate uh, our our students. Um, I think that the entire student life experience has been adjusted and, and um, tweaked to, to be able to give students a, a vibrant experience while keeping them safe and healthy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On the admission side, we've had to reimagine all the things that we do. And so in, in the admissions world, we often like to have large groups and we like festive and we, we like to have lots of people there and we wanna engage with lots of people. And we've had to really rethink really that, um, obviously utilizing the virtual format in, in many of our, our events, but we've also done a number of small, you know, intimate in-person experiences as well, uh, where we have a small select number of people joining us for our tours, our information sessions, or even we've gone out onto the road and, and held uh, small events at hotels. So we are trying to find ways to connect with students in ways that are comfortable for them, that's safe for everyone, and give students as much information as we can about the opportunities available at Marist.
1: It sounds like you have sort of a blended approach then, virtual and, and as much in-person as possible. When you... We're imagining back in March and April what the next eight months would look like, in particular what, you, what your enrollment might look like for the fall of 2020. How did how did things match up with your expectations? Did did, did the class come in, or did you find that there there were good number of students who said I'm going to wait a year, uh, see how things shake out?
0: Well, we did see a larger number of students who requested deferrals, of which we granted. Mm -hmm. And our class is a little bit smaller than we had originally planned, but that's by design. Um, Marist is nationally ranked. We're ranked third in the country in terms of percentage of students who study abroad. Mm. And so because of that, because of COVID, we knew that those students would not be able to study abroad. And so those 500 students or whatever the number is, we expected would be going all around the world to have that transformative experience. Would likely be on our campus in New York. And so we needed to have plans to be able to accommodate those additional students at our New York campus that normally would be studying abroad. So by design, we actually pulled back and made our, our freshman class a little bit smaller to be able to give us a little bit more flexibility with our housing. And ultimately, we actually had to rent a residence hall from a local community college that is fully virtual for this academic year to help us manage all the, the housing needs on campus. So did, did those 500
1: or so students who normally would have been studying overseas, did they indeed materialize on campus for the fall or did, did some of them um, just take some time off?
0: You know, we offered a totally online experience if, if students wanted that for their health and safety and, and mental health in many ways as well. Um, we had about 200 students take us up on that, mm-hmm. uh, but the other 4,800 students uh, were, were enthusiastic about being on campus and they wanted that on-campus experience. So we had very few students take a leave of absence. Uh, we had, like I said, 200 that did the virtual experience, but most are uh, came back to campus and lived in our, our residence facilities and attended classes on, on ground.
1: Good. You mentioned the deferrals, that you had more deferrals or requests for deferral this year than in the past. You probably are also hearing from those folks who attend information sessions about kids starting in the fall of 2021. Won't those deferrals coming back in 2021 affect the uh, opportunities for my kid to be admitted into that class? Will you see any change in your selectivity because of the deferrals?
0: I I think that's a, a really fair question, and I understand the question. We find that, first of all, many of our deferrals are now interested in coming in January. So they're not deferring for the entire year. They decided that after a semester, and they saw that we were able to pull off a full semester on campus on ground, that they wanted to be a part of that. Um, For the ones that are waiting for the entire year, the numbers are not so large that it would make any kind of uh, negligible I mean, the the impact will be negligible on fall enrollment. I mean, we're talking an additional—I don't know, maybe 25 students uh, that deferred. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about a class of 1,200 to 1,250, 25 is not a huge number. And quite frankly, we're probably going to admit a few more this year just because of all the uncertainty, dealing with uh, the economic uncertainty, the COVID uncertainty, the inability for people to come visit our campus. There's a lot of uncertainty and. Uh, Because of that, uh, we feel that we will probably admit a few more this year. Very good. I'd like to to kind of change directions just a bit because uh, another
1: phenomena that that has emerged over the last 10 months, it actually hasn't emerged, but has grown rapidly into a tsunami has been that related to testing and and, uh, colleges becoming test optional. Uh, Now, if I remember correctly, uh, Marist is not new to that game.
0: Correct. We've, we've been uh, test optional for about a little over a decade now. Mm-hmm.
1: So have you seen any measurable change in the response of students this year, given the COVID situation um, and and the conversation among you and your counterparts that said, how, how can we hold kids accountable for you know a credential that they couldn't really achieve? Are you seeing a, a groundswell of a new interest in, in test option or is it pretty much the same?
0: Yes, we are seeing a significantly fewer number of students are submitting their tests so any given year we will have about 75 80% of the students who apply to Marist will submit their test scores uh, as a part of the application. Uh, And then the others obviously choose not to this year it's about 37% have chosen to submit their test scores so it's almost in half. uh, uh, The number of students who are submitting I think. Uh, the the questions and the conversations we've had with families are actually reduced quite a bit. Um, you know, if they can't get a test, uh, we tell them we've been test optional for for a decade, and our our admit rate for non-submitters and submitters is about the same. Our retention rate and graduation rate and academic performance once they're once they're at Marist is the same, if not better, for the non-submitters. So. Uh, for us, this has not been a, a major shift, although I know it has been uh, for many families in and, and the landscape of, of college admissions.
1: You said that the performance metrics for the kids who are test option students uh, are not any different than those who do submit. In fact, they, they may be better. Why, why do you think that is the case? Why do you think students who may not be submitting test results would actually, over the course of their experience at Mares, perform better than those who do submit?
0: Well, I think that for, for students that are, are considering Marist and mm-hmm. attending Marist, the test is just not, not a good predictor for how a student is going to do at Marist academically. You know, we have de-emphasized it pretty significantly since I came in 2006 uh, because the data showed us that it was not a great predictor. The, the correlation was limited, and so uh, we started to really back off on it. And we've always had the philosophy that we'd much rather evaluate your ability to be successful at Marist based on three and a half years of high school than three and a half hours on a Saturday morning. And so because of that, our staff and the admission committee has been really sensitive uh, and thoughtful about who we admit and students that are performing in the classroom are going to get opportunities at Marist. Performing in the classroom
1: meaning that they're getting A's all the time, or were, I would imagine that there's some degree of rigor that you measure or factor into that, that equation as well.
0: Absolutely. When, when we say performing in the classroom, they're taking a curriculum that is uh, the right curriculum for them, and they're performing well, and uh, they're taking advantage of the opportunities available at their school. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a we don't have a specific parameter of what we're looking for because each school is different and each student is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but students that are taking advantage of the opportunities at their school and performing well uh, will perform well in our, our admissions committee. That's for sure.
1: I find it interesting. Students don't readily recognize the fact that, that the candidate pool at a school like Marist uh, will include students from maybe 1,500, 1,800, 2,000 high schools around the world. And So it, it they they're trying to figure out well how is it is it better to get a, a B at a really tough uh, school like mine or an A at an easier school? How do you and your staff wrestle through that whole scenario of of making value choices uh, relative to academic performance and program?
0: That's a that's an interesting question. And just just to give you even greater clarity, mm-hmm. out of our eleven thousand plus applications last year, they came from. 2800 different oh high schools all around the world. And so uh, that makes our job challenging because we need, to, we need to learn about each of those schools and the students within those schools. Um, you know, we're looking for students that are going to challenge themselves. And so it's less about an A in a college prep first. Do you get the B and go into the advanced or honors course? Um, if you have the A in the college prep and the honors in, or advances available to you, we want you to take that course. We want you to challenge yourself uh, and, and push yourself out of your comfort zone. Uh, because when you get to a place like Marist, our faculty are gonna push you out of your comfort zone whether you like it or not. And that's really where we feel growth happens both academically and personally. And so mm-hmm. we want students to challenge themselves in their academic curriculum choice. And we want them to push themselves within reason. Listen, if a student has a C, then they shouldn't move into the honors or AP courses.
1: Move to the next logical level of rigor as it's appropriate. Correct. Very good. Well, I would imagine also that given the very strong values and if you will, mission orientation of, of, of marriage, you're looking into character as well. When, when you're looking at, at, at a group of of candidates who are all good it's not a matter of separating out the good from the bad but they're all good and then you're trying to discern which ones are going to be the best for us where do you go beyond the curriculum to find that evidence
0: well we look at all the supplementary information that's available to us and Mm -hmm. so from that we look at what do the letters of recommendation tell us about that person Mm -hmm. Uh, what is the what is the essay communicate with us about the the essence uh, of that individual? Mm -hmm. Their extracurricular activities, how does that shape them as an individual? And so students want to, as they're putting together their their application, they wanna look at these things not necessarily as individual pieces, but as a overall picture. And so for example, if a student is a football player, and the letter of recommendation is from the football coach, and the essay is about football, then that is what, that's what we're going to categorize them as. Hmm. They're clearly football, and that's what they do, even though they may do a whole bunch of other things. But if they don't bring that to life for us, then we sometimes will miss that. And so, you know, I think students want to think about each of the pieces of the application as a way to tell us their story. When I pick up an application, I pick it up and I I will spend on average 12 to 15 minutes on an application. And then that's it, which is hard to imagine for students as they spend hours upon hours working on their applications. But because of the volume of what we're dealing with, we have a short period of time. But during those 12 to 15 minutes, that student has me, and my job is to try to walk in the shoes of that student every step of the way. Mm-hmm. What I will try to do is understand their family background, their, their school environment, the academic environment they're living in. Uh, what other pressures do they have? How are they doing academically? What are they doing with their school, with their community? What type of roommate would they be? All these things that we're trying to fully kind of grapple of, of who is this individual in front of us. And so I think all too often students, as they put together their application, they think that there's some narrative that we're looking for. And that's not the case. I'm not looking for a student who does theater and physics and community service and takes care of their little brother. That's not what I'm, I'm not looking for anything in particular. I think what this, what I want high school students to really try to Get, grasp is that we wanna know what story they wanna tell us about them. We wanna to get to know them as a genuine, authentic person. So I'm not asking for students to, to create something they aren't. I want the student just to share what makes them tick. What do they like to do? What type of skills do they have? What type of leadership have they exhibited? What do they like to do for fun? And from that, we will, we will try to determine whether that student is a match for us or not.
1: Just a, a, another topic I'd like to touch on quickly, not quite related to the credential review. This year in particular, cost and affordability have probably been uh, issues for families more so than in the past especially since when the family's student becomes a, a senior and then October 1st is an opportunity for them to complete a FAF so that they go online, they finish the FAF say, whoa, I have to use my 2019 tax return to do that. Won't, won't colleges see my 2020 data? There's got to be a little bit of confusion about that and bewilderment about that. How was Marist dealing with that new wrinkle, if you will, the the prior, prior piece along with COVID and and helping families to kind of sort their way through affordability uh, this year?
0: I think that colleges and universities, Marist included, are um, going to work really hard to try to help students navigate this, this challenging time. That being said, I think it's important to note that Marist and all colleges have to bring in a certain amount of revenue to kind of balance the, to balance the books. Uh, you don't hire amazing faculty, have a beautiful campus, have the very best technology, have a wonderful dining hall, have uh, state-of-the-art dormitories. You, you don't do that for free. And so there's a certain amount of revenue that needs to be brought in at each individual school. And obviously that's, that's, uh, that depends on the institution. Um, That being said, students that have been impacted by COVID, whether it be uh, in their personal life, their academic life, or their financial life, um, colleges are here to be sensitive to that and to assist with that. And so uh, specific to your question on the financial aid side, on the financial side, if a student fills out their FAFSA and it's based on the 2019 information, uh, but the reality is, it's now 2020, and we are, uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic. And because of that, there has been significant financial disruption to that particular family. Then colleges have the ability and will, uh, Marist included, uh, will make changes and adjustments to your forms. And we have the ability to use professional judgment and update your data so it's reflective of what's happening in your reality right now. So I think students should take some comfort in knowing that we are going to uh, work with them and assist them if uh, COVID has impacted their, their family significantly in a financial sense. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and the reason I asked the question is that the, the FAFSA is, is for many families, the first experience they have with applying for financial aid. And because they're being expected to provide 2019 data, they're at a loss, how, do, how are they gonna see the 2020? Well, we have to send it to FAFSA, but FAFSA, there's no portal to take that. And, and the reality is they need to talk to your financial aid officer, the financial aid officer on the college campus. And, and I think that's a message that, that I've been trying to get out to folks as well, is that there are opportunities to update your information, but do it correctly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I think that, um, you know, financial aid offices are there to help families. Uh, and so if families have questions it's as simple as, I don't know how to fill out the form or what are they asking for? or Where do I find this information? You always can call the financial aid offices at, at the colleges that you're considering. And if not, just call us at Marist, and we will help you. We'll help answer your questions about what forms you need to fill out. And um, if your financial circumstances have changed dramatically since the, the information uh, has been provided, then you need to inform the colleges of that, and colleges will uh, will make adjustments accordingly.
1: Absolutely. As you reflect now on the last 10 months, a lot of lot's changed. Uh, I mean, and you've been doing college admission for a long time as well, and you've seen change happen gradually over time, but this has been a rather sudden pivot for colleges and universities. What, what do you imagine, as, as we kind of return to some degree of normalcy, What what do you imagine Will stick from the last eight to ten months in terms of the work that you do in particular.
0: Well, the work I do, I mean, we have certainly uh, reimagined all of our programming, uh, and it's it's all gone virtual, and we've made ourselves much more accessible to many more students. And so, I think that on the other side of COVID nineteen, and if it's in our rearview mirror, and we're we're uh, we're living the life without masks in the future, I do think that the virtual programming that Marist and other colleges have put together is here to stay, uh, which is a terrific access opportunity uh, for students that don't have the ability to, to visit particular college or university. Now they can get more information than they ever imagined in a, in a virtual environment. Now, I'm not suggesting that's exactly the same as walking across campus, but uh, colleges have really significantly upped their game on the, on the virtual the virtual side, which I think is is particularly important. I think on also it should be noted that I think that the academic experience at a lot of colleges and some of the other experiences are going to change into the future and it's not a bad thing. Let, here's a, let me give you an instance. We have more students in fall 2020, we had more students doing internships than we did in fall 2019. Our career services staff worked tirelessly over the summer to come up with virtual internships and working with different companies that were virtual. And so uh, now we have students that will be able to do an internship virtually uh, into the future if they want, which makes those opportunities available for students who don't have the ability to travel, who want to do an internship at a location really far away, who are an athlete, who who have some kind of limitation. Mm -hmm. Now they can do a virtual internship. Now, is it going to be available in every single program? No, but I do think that the landscape and some of the opportunities offered at colleges and universities, particularly at a place like Marist, is actually going to be enhanced because of COVID nineteen, even when uh, COVID nineteen is in our rearview mirror. A, a, ho-
1: a horrible pandemic has produced something that that will live in a positive way with us for for quite a while into the future, at least in the college going process. Uh, finally, what what advice might you have to families that are um, kind of wading into decision-making right now in in a process that looks different than it did a year ago, uh, or certainly moms and dads experienced 30 years ago, much different, maybe the older brother and sister, much different. It's what, what kinds of things should families be concerned about or asking about now as they try to make good decisions for their kids?
0: That's a very good question. I think that, you know, choosing a college is a really Personal decision, you know, there's three core pieces that that students need to think about. One is the academic fit, two is the social fit, and three is the financial fit. So the academic fit has has is probably not going to change a whole lot in the COVID world. The student life fit might be a little bit more challenging if you can't visit colleges. And so, you know, I would encourage students to take advantage to, to absorb as much information about life at that particular school. So follow them on social media, look up their school newspaper, try to read some issues to find out sort of what's going on at that campus. And to be fair, I would not just look at this past year because this past year was a chaotic time. Go back to 2019 when things were quote unquote more normal. What were the issues then? What were the challenges then? What were the things that were happening on that campus? get a feel for what the, what the life is, was like then. Um, because once we're on the other side of COVID-19, hopefully it will be much more similar to 2019. And that might give you accurate uh, reflection. Take advantage of any kind of offerings that colleges have for you to learn more. So for example, at Marist, we're having accepted student programming Throughout the entire month of January, where we're bringing students in, we're going to show them the residence halls and the dining hall, and they'll be able to meet a few students. We're going to have a student panel on Zoom, so we're trying to replicate that so students can get that feel of whether we're the match for them or not. I would encourage students to take advantage of every virtual opportunity they can. Colleges are going to have student panels, and uh, you're going to meet with faculty and. All those things, all those touch points will give students greater clarity and understanding about the schools they're looking at. And the more they do that, the more confident they will feel about their choice because they have more information. Uh, One thing that we have historically found is that students that engage with us the most throughout the college search process retain at a higher level and graduate at a higher level. It's because they've done their homework, they know what they're getting themselves into, they understand the ethos of who we are. And so I think that's that's good advice for all students, regardless of the schools you're looking at, is to dive in and learn as much as you can about those schools, uh, because uh, that will help you make an informed decision about what school is the right fit for you.
1: Absolutely, I think it's great advice to, to understand the nature of the investment that, that you as a family are making, but also the investment of time and energy the student will be making into a particular college and university. You I, I use the word that I use often, and that's fit. Got to, got to be fit-oriented. Kent, this has been wonderful. It's always great to, to talk with you about our work and, as admission professionals, uh, and I really have great respect for what you're doing. Thank you for joining us today. I, I, I hope that we didn't set you back too far in your credential review, but uh, this, is, uh, this has been very helpful for us.
0: It's been my pleasure, Peter, and thanks for including me and And best of luck to all the students and, and parents out there.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you again. And for those who are listening in, uh, we hope you take a, a lot of good information from this conversation. Canton to everybody. Have a great day and be safe, everyone.